This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. An unlikely friendship begins in the Paramount Plus original movie, Little Wing, starring Brooklyn Prince with Kelly Riley and Brian Cox. Reeling from her parents' divorce, Caitlin steals a valuable bird to save her home, but instead forms a bond with the owner, leading to a new outlook on life. Little Wing, now streaming exclusively on Paramount Plus. Head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Rated PG 13. This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG 13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Hi, Tom Bernard here. You're listening to Best of the Family. Enjoy the show. Thanks for listening. Michael Bryant, Bradshaw and Bryant. So what's the latest? Well, the latest is we're representing people who are injured through no fault of their own. Uh, people come to us. We talk to them about what their rights are. We talk to them about things that, you know, adjusters would call them up and ask them about. And we represent people in order to get them justice for the injured. And have been for a long time. Very, very successful. No question. I, I, you know, I do meet a lot of your clients. They come up to me on the street and whatever, and they talk about this, that, or the other thing. And they both say... Why do you guys hang out with Doug Sprinthal? And I just had no answer for <laughs> He just looks away, you big baby. In any case, that's the whole deal. So people, they got any problem whatsoever, personal injury or other legal problems, whatever, they just reach out to Brad, Sean, Bryant. Yeah, Joe and I have both been president of the trial lawyers for the state. So we talk to people about all sorts of issues. The consultation is always free, and that's what we do. Michael Bryant, Brad, Sean, Bryant. Tom here for my friends at Walzer Automotive Group with some exciting news. Walzer's rolling out Walzer Care on new and most used cars they sell in Minnesota. Well, Walzer Care is a powertrain warranty with coverage for 10 years or 150,000 miles. Powertrain coverage is like major medical coverage for your car. Engines, transmissions, all the really expensive stuff is covered. In addition, Walzer Care includes 24 hour roadside assistance. Lock your keys in your car, run out of gas, have a flat tire. Guess what? Walzer has your back. The best thing about Walzer Care, it's free with purchase. That's right, I said free. So, if you're shopping for a new or used Subaru, Honda, Nissan, Mazda, Toyota, Buick, GMC, Chrysler, Jeep, Dodge, Ram, Hyundai, or Chevrolet, see my friends at Walzer and get Walzer Care for free. I'm Just what we need in Minnesota, Mike. More storms. Snow, rain, take your pick. We've got it all happening today in Minnesota. Tom Bernard is off until Monday. He will return with the family at that point. I'm your host today, Dave Schrader, sitting in with Mike Molina and Mike Kaplan from Acme Comedy Club. He's there tonight and tomorrow. What time shows? 8 and 10.30? Is that what you said? You did it. Hey! You heard, you remembered, you regurgitated. 8 and 10.30 tonight and tomorrow. 
Later on in the show, Dr. Knowledge himself, Charles Reichbloom, will join us. He's written the book, The All-Time Book of Fascinating Facts. We'll be talking about that uh, Friday 13th. Where does this come from? Why are people so fascinated by this? Plus, he's going to show us how uh, Friday 13th isn't just all about bad luck. What? Yeah, I know. So he's got some interesting information to share with us a little bit later on in the show. We were talking about um, horror movies with Jonathan from Dread Central. True. Uh, You know what I've always enjoyed? I like the movies with more of a, a dynamic with the personalities involved. Kind of like going all the way back to the Twilight Zone, the, the episode The Monsters of Ma- uh, Maple Street, I think it is, hmm. where there's this nugget of, well, these monsters have invaded. It could be anyone. And it's watching kind of the dynamic breakdown of how people react towards one another. They did it better, I think, in It, or uh, The Thing, okay. John Carpenter's The Thing movie. I see. Have you ever seen that one, Mike uh, Molina? Uh, no, uh, but I do like John Carpenter, especially Halloween. That was, uh, well, with the, the Thing movie, it's you're set out in the Antarctic, so you've got this kind of, uh, in the science base, where they've unleashed something from the ice, and oh, it's yeah. moving from person to person. Oh, uh, yeah. And it's uh, it's Kurt Russell again. And it's it's got that claustrophobic feel, but it's how do you start treating one another? And then they, they kind of revisit that with the with the Alien movie. It also reminds me of uh, Fallen. Did you see that movie? Yes. There's like, you know, an angel, a fallen angel that's possessing different people that, you know, if you're, it's in one person, then it touches another person, then it's in that person. So like you can't, you literally can't trust anybody to be the person that that you think. Was that Denzel Washington? It was. Yeah. And John Goodman. Yes, that's right. Uh, And speaking of John Goodman, he was in another good one, uh, 10 Cloverfield Lane. Oh, yeah. That came out a few years ago. And again, that's kind of this, there's this world above that's going haywire, but you don't know why. And you don't know if John Goodman's a good guy, a bad guy, a lunatic, what's what's happening oh, in his Oh, he seems world. like a great guy. And it's, it's a really well done movie, but that's kind of in the same vein of The Night of the Living Dead, the original. Mm-hmm. That again, that claustrophobic feel of bringing people together that normally might not have walked in the same circles. And how do they deal with tragedy as as the world around them is starting to go crazy do you guys watch uh, black mirror i have not watched it yet. oh is man it good? i love it yeah it's it's all kinds of this stuff now that's an anthology right so every episode's kind of a different story correct yeah are they are they good scary stories are they uh, you know because in a lot of these anthologies i find that there's a lot more miss than there is hit i think there's a for me there's a lot of hit like it's uh I haven't watched all the Twilight Zone, but I right. feel like it's this. I mean, it's certainly the same kind of thing as the Twilight Zone. And are I are they amping it up though more with the gore kind of stuff? No, I, I think that most episodes are. I mean, the thing that's different specifically about Black Mirror than Twilight Zone is that it's almost always about like something technological. Maybe always, mm-hmm. like it's some sort of uh, you know tech, you know, new thing that oh, oh wow, what, what a futuristic great thing this is. This is like oh contact lenses that you can use to rewind your experience of the day because it records everything and like what that uh, that sort of implications can have on you know uh, a friendship a relationship you know a working life thing and it's so a lot of it is you know more the kinds of like not being able to trust as opposed to like there's some of them are gory but most of them are not so that sounds almost kind of like the monkey's paw situations right if we you make this wish and then what is the negativity that comes with it yeah that sounds right very cool. I'll but have to check that out. Now, that's yeah. on Netflix, right? It is. All right. That's one I want to check out. Um, another good one to kind of revisit is the original Invasion of the Body Snatchers and then the one they did in the 80s hmm. that had Leonard Nimoy, Donald Sutherland, oh. that uh, Jeff Goldblum. That's one of, I think, one of his earliest roles. And it is, again, a great ensemble movie cast where you're watching the world kind of de-evolve around these people and what is their reaction to the fact that, that people are being replaced by these emotionless pod versions of us 
And then where is the real enemy in this? The aliens are coming here. They're kind of purifying the earth. They're still taking on our form. We still have our memories and all of that. But this new pod form is just there's no emotion. So there's no need for war. There's no need for anger. So, you know, are we the bad guys for fighting this resistance? Are they the bad guys for trying to take us over? So it kind of puts you into this thinking dynamic where I know a lot of people just want escapism. They want to go see a movie and for that 90 minutes or two hours be transported and not have to think. But I kind of like being engaged in a movie. Well, that's the thing. Like in comedy, I've thought about and started talking about a little bit on stage, but also off stage on podcasts right now Mm -hmm. about like the fact that some comedy is addressing what's happening in the moment. Like there's political comedians, there's people like talking about, you know, not necessarily trying to make change, but being like, what is going on? You know, being like, this is what's happening and this is what's ridiculous or funny about it. And the audience is engaging. And then sometimes people want that Escapism. Some people, you know, like Brian Regan is a wonderful right. master of comedy that you don't go to to be like, what's happening in the news? You know, you go to be like, I just I'm laughing a lot. And it's not to say that you can't love both kinds, but they're if you want one, I, I'd say just know what you're looking for. Like, obviously, not every person should go see a movie that makes them feel a way they don't want to see or a comedian that makes them think when they want to escape or, a, you know, whatever it is. I'd say just do some research, like watch a watch a preview, watch a clip before you go see something, because I think that both things are valuable. Like, it's important to address what is important in the world, what sort of, you know, the implications of, uh, you know, the, these movies and the the politics. Uh, I mean, when people are like, I don't I don't really care about politics. Like, well, then you probably uh Uh, Do you care about people? Because like a lot of people are affected by (laughs) politics. And so it might be if you're in a position where you don't have to care about politics, then maybe you could help. You could definitely like I'm set. Well, then there's a lot of people that aren't set. So you could help out. But, you know, you don't have to have it in your comedy all the time. You could have if you want to escape in your comedy and then contribute your time and money and efforts and resources somewhere else. But no, I'm just going to just going to go on an island that I own and then uh, watch uh, whatever. What's the movie? Is that just just Brian Regan? Okay, great. I've had uh, a good friend of mine, Joshua P. Warren. He always brings me some of the most obscure things to watch. Mm. And I remember we were out filming uh, for a TV show, and he, he takes me aside and he goes, uh, Dave, we got to watch this movie tonight. We're definitely going to need drinks, but we got to watch this movie. It's called The Human Centipede. Oh, sure. Now, have you seen this? I, I know about it and have not seen it. Molina, yeah. how about you? Have you checked out the, the movie that is The Human Centipede? No, I have not. It's, this no. is a movie, again, not for everyone. I got to tell you, not for everyone. But, you know, Lenny Bruce, not for everyone. It's true. Right? And then you've got the Brian Regans who, are, you know, can kind of universally be accepted. But you're not you're not looking for that niche market. What I did find, I mean, Human Centipede is definitely one of the most disturbing movies I've ever seen. Sure. But, again, to me, I really enjoyed the weird dynamic of, of first of all, this broken human who's decided to sew people together mouth to butt. Yep. Creating this Human Centipede. And then watching... The dynamic, and again, it just—it sounds horrific. But then, how do these people that are now connected to one another, how do they re- deal with this new paradigm, their new world order? I mean, what what do you do in this situation? And that, to me, made it an interesting aspect. I had no interest in seeing part two or part three because I think what they were going for in part one was enough for me. Sure, <laughs> but I still give it its its due. Where I I think. It's a really fascinating movie of the horror that man does to one another. And, I mean, I guess my question is, not knowing anything about the movie other than the premise, uh, don't people just die? Like, if they're eating only what comes out of somebody's butt? Well, that's kind of the whole juxtaposition of the movie is it's just this weird how do you, again, what do you do? And the horrors of what your mind paints it much worse than, than everything that's going on. 
So it's a, it's a very oh yeah sounds pretty bad bizarre movie. But again, it's one of those if you want outside of your comfort zone. I don't mind going outside my comfort zone once in a while for a movie. Uh, but then then I'll tell you on the other end of things, um, I'm not a war movie guy. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you put me into that realm, like I you know I'm, I watched Full Metal Jacket and and the '80s pantheon of of war movies that came out because I always got the feeling those were just overblown male machismo BS that was being slung around to, you know, it was the eighties, right? Everybody was trying to save POWs from Vietnam and this, it was just a cycle of movies. But then I go see saving private Ryan mm-hmm. and I watched the first 10 minutes of that movie and I, I got up and walked out. It to me was so horrific because it was real. real. And that to me, I didn't want to be in that place. I didn't. And, and, you know, I had a connection. My grandfather was a, um, a paratrooper in World War II for the 82nd Airborne. And I know he was part of these drops. And to see the carnage that he must have been witness to, that was unbelievably brutal for me. I couldn't, I really couldn't make it past the first 10 to 15 minutes. And I'm the horror movie and, and paranormal and spooky guy. And that to me was just, that took it to a whole new level of, of what I, I just couldn't put myself through. That's really interesting. There's a, th- a comedian friend of mine, Shane Moss. I don't know if you know. Uh, he's very funny. And years ago, like the stuff that he's talking about now, he's really into like science and consciousness and psychedelics. Mm-hmm. And he talks about those a lot. But in the beginning, he had just some sort of more like really funny, like gross, weird jokes. Right. And he had a, a joke about finding like a, a sex dictionary online okay. and have all these terms that and one of them was called like the pudding pop. And like I don't usually talk about this, but in the context of human centipede i don't think i'm going very far uh, afield of where we already have been and so he talks it's using apparently he's like the using like a pudding pop is using frozen feces as a sex toy he's like oh now call me old-fashioned but that one sounds weird <laughs> and like he's like because that's not just a, ju- a drunken whim that's got to be at least like two drunken whims like i'm a got so drunk i, I craft in the freezer and then uh, hey what's in the freezer i guess i'll <laughs> use this and for me like i watched that the same way that you probably i listen to that and i think it's funny and it's art in the way that human centipede is like oh this is a weird why why is this happening it's just you know somebody following like the logical implications of a thing that started in a real place and that has some but you know is ultimately like nobody in our real life experience that we know we certainly don't know that anybody's really even doing this it Mm -hmm. could be just itself like a fantasy that you know is based in reality but i remember like one of the bookers at one of the clubs that where we were performing, she was just like, oh, God, no, don't. And it's like, for me, I could like intellectualize it and be like, this isn't happening. This isn't a real thing. I don't have to actually imagine this thing. But she was like, I can't. I have this visceral, like the idea that it, it is real. The And so like the same kind of reaction that you had to like Saving Private Ryan, you're like, this is like, I hate this. This is not, I, right. I hate that this is. And so I don't want to be reminded of it, which I mean, is probably why that movie is important because right. like we, I mean, all we're so removed in all of our life from you know the horrors that go on like i'm vegan and i know what goes on in factory farms and i don't like reading about it and i don't like seeing the movies and i'm like i want to not be a part of those things that i know are happening and i know plenty of meat eaters who are also like yeah i don't want to see those movies i don't want to know about it don't tell me about it because they want to remain in you know oblivious bliss like to not know what they know intellectually what they're contributing to but if they see it then they feel emotionally that i feel like uh, most reasonable people people would be like, this is not what should be happening. This war is not what should be happening. This, you know, this mistreatment, this torture, this, all this unnecessary suffering doesn't have to be happening. It's 
isn't it weird that we get that strange disconnect? I mean, you you look at okay, you hear about you know the horrors that take place in Africa, mm-hmm. but you know what? It's Africa. I'm in Minnesota. Hey, what's for dinner tonight? You know, you hear about the devastating um, uh, storms that pummeled Puerto Rico. Oh, that's horrible. Hey, do you want to go check out the new movie Rampage this weekend? And and there's this weird disconnect. And I find that even when it hits landfall in the United States, when New York was underwater, mm-hmm. right? And and this was going on. You're kind of in this insular world that even though we're more connected than we've ever been through social media and, and the news 24-7, you still have this, but that's not in my world. I think what I've heard is that there's like every human, you know, human beings used to not have all this access to all the, you know, information that was going on in the world, you know, just like 100 years ago, 200 years ago, like most of human existence, you only knew your town, your community, maybe somebody would ride in with a horse and be like, hey, the war that was happening is, you know, like news came in so much slower. But you, I think that we, uh, as I understand it, evolved to have like, you know, sort of a tribal mentality that like, say, 150 people was a about the number of people that you could know, that you could thus care about and empathize with. And like, that's your people, whether it was your town or your, you know, wandering tribe or whatever it was. And then when you saw other people like, well, those aren't me, even though, of course, we all are, you know, made of the same stuff. We are all, you know, connected as part of the universe that we are, but we are just in, you know, in our incarnation that we are now, our body, our experience, our life, we only can know, like, emotionally and viscerally, this 150 people. So that's why even when one horror happens, we're like, oh my God, and then another horror happens, and we're like, well, forget about that horror, and this horror. Like, we, we can't have all of our attention on everything all of the time, and, you know, so I, I feel sympathy for us, and... I just want I, we want to be able to help everybody in all the ways that we can, but we just can't. We can't know everything. We can't that do overload, everything. right? Well, yeah. it was earlier this year, uh, Molina. Remember, they did something with Apple, um, and they were showing that virtual world where he had put it on, and then was showing the screens, and it was Puerto Rico after the tragedy or travesty that had taken place there, and people were so offended that he was showing this, and they're like, "You're using this for entertainment." I'm like, "No." He was making a point out of this. Look how close we can get back into that realm. By doing this, and that I think is the next step for science, is putting us in that maybe that'll bridge that gap and bring us back to humanity. We'll take a break. We'll be back with more here on the Tom Bernard Show. Tom Bernard here, and with me is the CEO of North American Banking Company, Michael Bilski. Tell me, Michael, I was reading on your website that one of your bankers has worked with a customer for more than 30 years. It's a long time for any business relationship. Is that common? Not only 30 years, but two generations. Our great client, Northland Fastening Systems. 30 years is definitely not common for a lot of bankers, but Brad has developed a relationship with that trusted customer that has allowed them to show steady growth every year they've been together. Building the relationship of trust is what we do best. It allows us to make quick deals that benefit them and all of our business customers. The cool thing is that it gives us a chance to be more than your banker, hopefully a partner, and maybe even a friend. I have never liked you, by the way. Why not bank with my banker, North American Banking Company, a better banking experience? Member FDIC, an equal housing lender. Thanks, friend. And you are? (laughs) Real nice. Chuck Knobloch. (laughs) Chuck Knobloch. Tom Bernard here for Whiting Clinic LASIK and Cataract. There's no better time than now to ditch your contacts and pitch your glasses. Whiting Clinic is the place I trusted to do this for me, and it's not just me. There's a reason Whiting Clinic is the number one LASIK practice in the United States. Dr. Whiting's unsurpassed experience, the most advanced Contura laser technology, and lifetime coverage are all backed by Whiting Clinic's best price guarantee. 
Being the experts they are, they wanted to make sure you have the very best for your eyes, just like I did. Call now for Whiting Clinic's $500 off LASIK savings. If you're like me, not a big fan of glasses and contact lenses, then it's time you found out if you're a candidate for LASIK. And Whiting Clinic is definitely the place to go. Call 855-554-2020 today or visit whitingclinic.com to set up your free LASIK consultation. Remember to tell them that I sent you and save $500 on your LASIK. Offer good for a limited time. Call Whiting Clinic for details. Good for both eyes only. Cannot be combined with any other offer. When you believe in things that you don't understand and you suffer Dr. Knowledge, Charles Reichloom will join us in just a little bit. He's written the book, The All-Time Book of Fascinating Facts. We'll put him to the test on that. Sitting in studio with me right now, he's performing at Acme Comedy Club tonight and tomorrow, 8 and 10.30. You can still get some tickets. Make sure you get in there and get a... Acme is such a great place to see a comedy show. Love it. It's one of the best in the country. They've got great food, good drinks, great people, and then you. They get to see you. They've got great people and me. That's right. So there's a good time. You can check that out this weekend at Acme Comedy Club. If you're tired of the crappy weather, you're tired of watching TV, you want to get out, it's a Friday the 13th, why not go have some hilarity? Remember, it's not all about scary stuff on Friday the 13th. Oh, go no. out and enjoy yourself. Look out. The show is funny. And it's in 3D. Oh, yeah. It's totally 3D. And, cool. it's, uh, and it's in a building, so you won't get snowed or rained on. That was my first 3D movie was Friday the 13th 3D. Oh, 13D. Yes, my dad, my mom took me to go see it. That was probably one of the best 3D movies I've ever seen, too, because there's that scene where he's like walking. She's she's hung all the sheets on the line. Mm. And at one point, the sheets actually come off the screen as you see his shadow kind of playing out. I love that visceral feeling of the 3D movies. Now it's kind of overdone to me. It's just more about the depth perception on screen. Sure. Do, do 3D movies do it for you, or do you avoid that? I mostly don't see 3D movies. No? Uh, yeah, I, I think uh, for the most, I mean, unless there's some specific, like when Avatar came out and they were right. like, this 3D is different. Right. Like, but yeah. Most mostly, I'm like, yeah. I, I mean, I have my whole life is 3D. I walk around and like, look, this. I just reach out and touch your laptop. Oh, hey, it is. Look, the table. Look, the microphone. You. Uh, sincerely, I mean, I, it is cool that they can do it. But when I'm going to the movie, it's you know usually a fictional story. It's usually just something that's going into my brain, and I'm like, I enjoy it the most. Uh, when I'm just seeing it. Also, now I have Movie Pass, and it doesn't cover 3D. See, I love the old-time 3D stuff. With sure. The, I remember they made a big deal out of, uh, re, I think it was like Revenge of the Creature, mm-hmm. was on WFLD, Channel 32 in Chicago when I was a teenager, and they were going to show a black-and-white movie in 3D on TV. Hmm. And you had to go to 7-Eleven to get your special glasses to watch it. And I see, I love that in-your-face weird 3D, like the the Friday 13th. The guy's playing with the yo-yo, and they zip down, and they show the yo-yo coming off the screen. Sure. I was all about the campy entertainment stuff. I, I don't care so much about the depth. I mean, it's beautiful, and it's a cool art form. But to me, that's it. But we were just talking about the fact that Apple is doing these kind of uh, VR goggles now where you can be in there. You feel like you're there oh, at these yeah. locations. I've, I've done, I, a friend of mine has the uh, Rick and Morty virtual reality game. Okay. And it's so much fun to, I mean, it, that's a different thing. It's not just like looking around, like when you can actually move yourself, your body and like interact, like, you know, pick things up and affect things. You know, I mean, it's like, it's a video game, but it's like you're in the video game in a way that's totally like different than anything I'd experienced before. I wonder how far we are away from virtual reality comedy clubs where I can plug in at home, put on my goggles, 
and I'm sitting at Acme Comedy Club with the live audience, and they're piping in the sounds. Because I'll tell you, and I, I don't know where you stand on this, very few comedians stand up for me, uh, pardon the pun, when you it. watch video. Mm. I, and I'll sit there, and, I'll, and people will rave about Jim Jeffries and rave about Jim Jeffries. And I go watch a video, and I'm like, I don't get it. And then I see Jim Jeffries, and I laugh myself sick at his show. And I'm like, what the hell was the difference? Was it really just being in that audience and and feeling that live energy? And is there that that yeah, separation of watching it on TV that kind of distorts it for me? Uh, it's certainly when it's a. I mean, in some ways, the difference between being a part of it and just just being a witness to it. Even though when you are a part of it, when you're in the room, you're also your part is in part witnessing. But when you're, it's just one level removed. When you're like, oh, I'm watching other people watch this thing, or I'm watching as opposed to like really engaging with it. Um, I, I don't know exactly what it is, but yeah, there is some sort of like magic to being uh, present. There's, you know, but then there are some of those comedians that you can watch that transcend. You watch the video, and I'll I'll laugh just as hard at a video that I will as watching it in in a public place. Oh, thank you so much. Yeah, my videos are wonderful. Uh, your, you yours definitely. are. I, I've actually <laughs> my wife and I were watching, getting a big when I know I'm going to be doing the show. Sure. I'm I'm like, who's going to be on? And and she goes, uh, Mike. Kaplan's gonna be on check it out so she started popping up videos we were laughing that was a good when you bring it in so it makes it very um uh, contextual I can feel like I'm I'm getting what you're saying you're talking to me so I, I get that kind of humor but there are some of them that just seem like they're they forget and they're they're going for an audience like a, an a auditorium audience like a Dane Cook sure and there's kind of that break where I feel like in those senses you need to be in oh yeah that. Like I've seen, I mean, Dane Cook wasn't my favorite when right. I first heard of him, but then a, a guy that I really respected, uh, Dave Walsh, a comedian in Boston where I was starting, he was like, you got to see him live. And then I did see him live a couple times and it like blew my mind. And I'm like, wow, this is like, this guy is really something special and amazing that doesn't translate for me as much, you know, watching him on a screen as it did being in the room. And there was this electricity and whatever else has, you know, come of, you know, him, his career, his life since then like i mean i i remember having those you know beautiful experiences and so i think that and then when i listen to his like madison square garden album like i i can't i can't imagine that even if i was there like that's just not it's not the same way of enjoying comedy in like you know even a thousand seat theater or like you know a, a 200 300 400 seat comedy room or like you know a 50 seat black but like you know there's so many you know sarah silverman did a comedy special in a 37 seat room and like right. i you know i would much prefer like a small full room than you know a giant like the the thing with Madison Square Garden is like people and for Dane Cook he became a rock star and people were there like screaming instead of like laughing at his jokes they were cheering when he'd name a topic and it just was that wasn't the way that comedy that even when I it, when I've loved him doing comedy like it wasn't the same thing so I think uh, it does depend on you know the person the venue and like the circumstances then you've uh, got you've got edgy comedians like Tig right? sure and she just goes in that special she just go to people's houses and do comedy in their living room with them or at their family Does reunion Tig, or is that uh maria Tig, bamford as well or i don't know if she did i know tig Notero did it because it was okay. part of her special but i was like oh cool that's genius she would like do a social media giveaway and and things and she'd show up at your family reunion and do a comedian spot standing on, on the back of a tractor trailer and do this and i thought that's really cool when you can push the boundaries and take comedy into that kind of contextual environment mm -hmm. and still 
shit. Well, then I, I would recommend, because I, I haven't seen that special then, I have seen Maria Bamford's newest Netflix special, Old Baby, mm-hmm. where she starts just doing, like, she did one special that was the special, 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 mm-hmm. where it's just her doing comedy to her parents. That's it. And this one is, she starts, I forget how small the audience is, it might be like a park bench, like maybe at one or a few other people, and then throughout the special, she goes to big, like, she's in a bookstore, and then she's in, like, a small club, and then eventually it ends with her at a theater, and it's just, you know, the same, like, the whole set like you could listen to an album of her doing that material all to one audience like a a standard normal Mm. conventional comedy audience but then you can watch the special where it just like builds from you know initially just connecting with one or a few people and then to until it's her being you know her same self but connecting with you know a whole theater full of people and it's pretty cool do you see now there's an an interesting aspect to me is you look at comedians like margaret cho Mm -hmm. and when she first came out i thought she was funny but then to me, it just got uh, it got okay. It was just funny voices and, and kind of making fun of her mom's reaction to everything she lived through, and I, I lost that interest in in her comedy. And you, some of these people that rely on the funny voices. See, I was never, and I know Tom was a fan, and and the the show here was friends with um, Ralphie May. Mm-hmm. I never got Ralphie May. I just couldn't connect. I couldn't feel the the kind of. Oh yeah, this is my my style of comedy. You know, I I, I dig this. I got him in small doses. To me, he was a, an SNL kind of comedy. You know, I, I could take a few minutes, but I couldn't anything stretched out over that. I, I lost the interest, and then I watch. But then you've got guys like Brian Regan, who apparently we both have the same kind of interest and affinity for. And you you get a guy, and and I love that comedy can bring people together to a, a, a conversational point where I'm with my. 14-year-old or 15-year-old son in the car, and we're listening to the comedy channel on Sirius, and Brian Regan's got us in tears, right? Sure. And then he'll he'll talk to me, and he's like, Dad, isn't it interesting? Because I wonder if this would be as funny if he got up and he's like, so I started a juicing diet, and you know, my first thing I wanted to try was bananas, and I put them in, and brrr, and... And I was waiting for that that tasty nectar to come out. And he said, I just don't think that but it's the way Regan kind of Where's that tasty nectar? And you, you listen to the voices and the the over exaggeration and you can see some people like Emo Phillips who made a career out of being this quirky, weird, almost alien character but also the first time i ever came across emo phillips jokes they were in a book and they're perfect jokes to be read like they right. w- without that voice like i didn't i bought a cd because i read his jokes on a page and then i listened to a cd and i had no idea that it was going to be the weird voice that it was and i was like wow like to me you know he he doesn't quote have to do that uh but he's he gets to he gets to do whatever he wants he's chosen uh to present his art the way that he does but also like if you just read all of his jokes on a on a page like i laugh out loud at them and so obviously like you're like margaret cho like the voices of her mother is not your favorite but with brian uh you're like the voices are great like i mean obviously it's the voices aren't the only thing and i would say also with margaret cho the voices aren't the only thing she's probably put out you know maybe five hours of comedy since her first special uh that you did like and you probably haven't watched all of those because at a certain point you were like well this isn't for me anymore because not every you know not every comedian and not every special of every comedian not every point of every comedian's career is for everybody it's like you know you can go to like the, the most amazing restaurants in town and they all have different kinds of food and even if they're all the best you know uh, critics agree and popular you know uh, if you voted like everybody agrees you know like you know, the Rotten Tomatoes gives it 99% but if it's a food that you don't like the flavor of even if everyone likes it then you won't, you're not right. obligated like you won't like and so it's possible that Ralphie Mae isn't your flavor or if you saw him live maybe he would be or there's some people that you'll only love live and some people that won't translate 
uh, and some people that will. Isn't it, it when you watch like a, a comedian that goes up, maybe a newer comedian that's bombing, mm-hmm. and they're very awkward on stage and they're doing this, and you look at it and you're like, why am I not? Th- this isn't connecting. But then the next comedian, like an emo film, Phillips, can come out whose whole shtick is being awkward and like, I'm not sure this joke is going to work, and you're roaring. And I think, why is it that what what is it about that one way that it's delivered that it's with you? Oh God, Mike, that was a horrible joke. What? What did I do? No, but I'm just saying, right? You can, and then you hit somebody else, and they can have that same kind of awkward shtick, and people are just tearing it up, and they're roaring in the aisles. Well, I think uh, for myself, I can I can only speak to my own experience that like when I started, I wasn't you know as like I'm better now than I was right uh, 15 years ago, hopefully right. And but one of the things and that I sort of like can. Con- conceive of and sort of frame in my head like in the beginning I was basically like so do, there's this guy do you know Brent Weinbach he's a wonderful comedian no I'm not he, familiar he has a either a new special or a special that just came out on like iTunes Amazon various places check out Brent Weinbach he's real weird and wonderful and he he had this joke that I love that makes me that'll help me tell it, like this point uh, it's that he's like and I'm gonna butcher it a little bit but the concept is he's like some people when they pick up the phone they say hello like hello and some he's like not me when i pick up the phone i say hello because you don't question the phone you answer the phone and so i think about that in terms of like in the beginning like you know comedians tell jokes but in the beginning it's more like that i was asking jokes i'm like is this good is this funny is this and so that lack of confidence is number like it could have been a funny idea that eventually like a year later five years later ten years later audiences would love when i'm like this is a joke but when i'm like is it people are like i don't know you tell us and I think that even when an idea didn't work in the beginning, I just be like, well, that didn't work. Oh, well, I thought it was funny. But later, eventually I came to, you know, sort of stylistically discover that I could even try out new things because I was funny. Even if a joke wasn't, I could be like, oh, well, in the beginning, I'd be like, that's not funny. Well, now, at least isn't it funny that I thought it was funny? Aren't I being funny right. presenting you this idea that's not funny? And so I think that that's the difference between a comedian uh, who's just starting out, who isn't confident yet, and who isn't themselves yet, hasn't become and discovered all that they have, which isn't to say that I have reached, you know, nobody, well, as you're living, you never reach like the end, you, your perfection. You're never like, I found it. This is it forever. Like you're hopefully <laughs> always growing and learning and changing. And there's another thing, do you know this thing? Uh, conscious competence versus like unconscious like when you start out something you are unconsciously incompetent at it usually meaning you're very bad and you don't know Mm -hmm. that you're bad then eventually like that's for that's where i was as a comedian i was bad and i didn't know it then you you gain enough skill that you're like oh i'm consciously incompetent now i know that i'm not good at least that self-awareness helps you then gain enough skill that you can get to conscious competence and then hopefully unconscious competence, which is that you're just naturally, effortlessly. When you learn to, to get over asking if the joke was funny and then just presenting it as though, I know this is funny, did you notice a change in the audience as well where all of a sudden they were like with you as opposed to rooting I, for you? Yes, I, w- I would say yes in general and that it was a gradual change. It wasn't just like one day I was like, this is what I have to do. But yeah, over the course of several years, I was like, oh, this is what happened, I assessed after the fact. Very cool. We're going to take a break. When we come back, Dr. Knowledge will join us with the all-time book of fascinating facts and catch us up to date on why is Friday the 13th so stigmatized? What is it about this date that people find uh, a, a source of fear? Oh God! And what are the upsides of the number 13? We'll discuss that when we return. I'm Dave Schrader filling in for Tom Bernard on The Tom Bernard Show. 
What are the things you want to avoid when it comes time to sell your home? Hey, it's Tom with my realtor, Chris Lindahl. If you're like most people, it's things like open houses, staging, decluttering, repairs, maintenance, and all the people coming through your house. Hey, Tom, the Guaranteed Offer Program from Chris Lindahl Real Estate was created for people like you so that you can avoid the things that you don't like doing when it comes time to sell your home. We have been presenting offers for homes in most price ranges. Homeowners are loving our guaranteed offer program, especially how much money they are making on their home sale without the inconveniences. So this program is for all price ranges and conditions, including perfectly maintained homes? Most homes do qualify. To see if your home qualifies, go to chrislindahl.com and click Get Offer right now. Will you be the next homeowner to accept an offer from our guaranteed offer program? Find out now. If you qualify, you will get an offer in 48 hours or less, and the best part is you get to pick a closing date that is convenient for you and close in as little as three weeks. Go to chrislindahl.com right now to see if you qualify or call 763-401-SOLD. That is 763-401-SOLD. Tom here for Sabre Plumbing, Heating, and Air Conditioning. Right now, Sabre and Bryant are teaming up to offer 0% financing for 36 months when you buy a new Bryant furnace. This is the perfect time to replace your old furnace with a new trouble-free, energy-efficient furnace from Sabre. And when you buy Bryant equipment, you're getting one of the most trusted names in the industry. This 0% offer is available for a limited time. Call Sabre Plumbing, Heating, and Air Conditioning to find out more, and please tell them that Tom sent you. Saber and Bryant, whatever it takes. If you guys believe in some supernatural stuff, anybody here believe in ghosts? Clap your hands if you're wrong. Anybody who believes in ghosts? And I don't want to say that I know everything, of course. I don't have all the experiences. And so I just don't want anyone's beliefs to infringe on anybody else's and hurt other people. So whatever you believe, believe it. And just let me believe what I believe. Like one time I was telling an audience that I didn't believe in ghosts and a woman yelled at me from the crowd. She was like, boo! I was like, you can't trick me. You're not one. I know that. That's uh, 100%. Do you guys believe in psychics? I have a psychic on my podcast. Do you guys believe in podcasts? They're not real. So, a podcast is like the ghost of a radio show, I would say. And that was the segment my wife uh, shared with me (laughs) since I host a paranormal show, which reminds me, tonight at 10 p.m. Central, I will be on The Dark Zone on Facebook doing a live Facebook chat. We'll be talking all aspects of the paranormal and about how Mike Kaplan is completely wrong about the existence of ghosts. So check it out. uh, No, check it out tonight, The Dark Zone on Facebook. Uh, You'll be able to find out and and watch and be a part of the live Q&A that I'll be doing on that. Tonight on Coast to Coast AM, the best in overnight talk radio, our next guest will be joining for a much longer segment. He's nicknamed Dr. Knowledge, and he's built one of the largest collections in the world of fascinating facts and stories that serve as a source for his Knowledge in a Nutshell book series. And uh, today he's here to talk to us about Friday the 13th and other superstitions. Joining us on the line right now, the author of the all-time book of fascinating facts, Dr. Knowledge himself, Charles, is it Reich Bloom? Yeah, it's close enough, Dave. All right, Charles, thanks a lot for joining us today. Well, thanks for having me. Friday the 13th, why is why does this day have such a stigma attached well, to it? Well, let's start with the fact that every year, unfortunately, must have a Friday the 13th. Just the way our calendars are sequenced, there has to be at least one Friday the 13th every year. As a matter of fact, this year we have two of them. Uh, today, uh, Friday, April 13th, and then... July will have a uh, Friday the 13th as well. And uh, any month that starts on a Sunday, anytime the first of the month is a Sunday, you're going to have <laughs> Friday the 13th uh, that month. Uh, anyhow, it all started um, 
with an old Viking tradition, and it's interesting for you folks up in Minnesota, uh, traditionally there was a victory dinner by a group of uh, Viking soldiers uh, many, many years ago, and there were 12 of them. They were celebrating a victory, and a 13th man crashed the party. Uh, there was fighting, there was killing, and that seemed to sort of start the tradition of 13 being an unlucky number since he was the 13th person there. And there were other cultures as well where, for one reason or another, 13 became unlucky. And then that was all amplified by the Last Supper, which had 13 people uh, at the Last Supper. And the 13th person there was Judith, who, of course, betrayed Jesus, and that that really seemed to solidify 13 as as being unlucky because he was the 13th person there. And, of course, the crucifixion took place on a Friday, uh, which in some people's minds made Friday an unlucky day. Now, there are other cultures as well where 13 became unlucky, but the surprising thing is that after all these years, uh, we still, many, many, many people still, you know, uh, believe in a Friday the 13th jinx or being unlucky or whatever. Uh, there are still hotels, uh, tall hotels today, uh, that don't have a 13th floor on purpose for that reason. There are uh, high office buildings that don't have a 13th floor. And so after all these years, uh, people still have that fear of 13. There are some people who, uh, it's been reported, won't even go out on a Friday the 13th. Um, so the the jinx still exists but on the other hand uh and this is kind of interesting 13 really has been a very lucky number for the united states when you stop to think about it and i think we most of us will agree that the united states is the greatest country ever created uh, greatest country on earth and yet 13 was very much in our creation we had 13 colonies as you know uh, we started with 13 states our flag has 13 stripes uh, to commemorate the original 13 states. The Great Seal of the United States, which you can see on the back of the $1 bill, has an eagle who has 13 stars and 13 stripes on his chest. He's holding uh, 13 arrows in one hand and 13 olive branches and olives in the other hand. Uh, the motto of the United States is E Pluribus Unum which has 13 letters in it. The man who designed the Great Seal of the United States, his name was William Barton, happens to have 13 letters in his name. So 13, uh, really, you might say, has been very lucky for the United States. Uh, unless you look at some of the other things that have happened in the United States that haven't been so lucky. So, <laughs> All right, but you've got... Uh, they're well, just there, showing there the There was ties. one. There yeah. was one for sure, and that was Apollo 13. Right. All, all the manned space flights to the moon were successful except Apollo 13. We had Apollo 11, of course, was the first uh, space flight that took uh, humans to the moon with Neil Armstrong, Buzz Aldrin, and Michael Collins. Then there was Apollo 12, which was successful. 13 wasn't, 14, 15, 16, and 17 were all successful. Those were all the Apollo flights, the only flights that put humans on the moon. The only one that didn't work out was Apollo 13, and there were a lot of people before that uh, space shot was made, before 
Apollo 13 left the Earth, people said, please don't use 13, don't call it Apollo 13. But they did, and sure enough, uh, there was trouble on Apollo 13. First of all, amazingly, launch time just happened to be at 13.13 military time. That's 1.13 our time. The military, of course, uses a 24-hour clock. So launch time for Apollo 13 just happened to be, of all things, 1313. And then on the second day of the flight, which was on, would you believe, April 13th, uh, that's when the oxygen tank exploded on board Apollo 13, and that prevented them going on to the moon, and they had to come back to Earth. That's when James Lovell, the commander, made the famous comment, Houston, we have a problem here when the oxygen tank exploded. The one lucky thing about Apollo 13 was that the three astronauts did get back safely. They didn't get to the moon, but they did get back to Earth safely. Well, I was going to say, right. I mean, it's all kind of in your perception of what's lucky and what's unlucky. They didn't make it to the moon, but they were lucky enough to survive that incident exactly. and, and get back here. Now, we've heard, you know, thanks to the Brady Bunch, we've all, you know, encountered the unlucky cousin, Oliver. It, can people really be jinxed? Yeah, I th- you know, there are people who believe that. Uh, as I say, this goes back so many years, and it's lasted so many centuries, uh, 13 being unlucky, and Friday being unlucky, by the way. Uh, I just did another radio interview on another radio station, and they said, yeah, Friday's unlucky, except a lot of people really like Fridays. <laughs> Last day of the work week for many people. Uh, but there are people who, who think Friday is unlucky, and, of course, the combination of Friday the 13th makes it doubly unlucky in some people's minds, in many people's minds. Right. But you were talking about jinxed people and people with that are just bad luck. There's a very famous uh, gentleman who was witnessed not for one, not for two, but is involved in three different assassinations, correct? Yeah, this is correct, and, and, and this is a absolutely true story. One man was on the scene when three U.S. presidents were assassinated. We've had, excuse me, four presidential assassinations. One man was there for three of them, and that was Abraham Lincoln's son, Robert Lincoln. They ever question him? (laughs) (laughs) Well, let me tell you the story. Uh, Robert, uh, of course, was with his father, Abraham Lincoln, right after Abraham Lincoln was shot in 1865. And then Robert Lincoln himself went into politics uh, a few years later and was in the cabinet of President James Garfield in 1881. Garfield was leaving on a train trip from the Washington, D.C. railroad station. The cabinet went down to say goodbye to him. They had some things to talk about. And a man came up to uh, President Garfield. He was described as a disappointed office seeker, a man that uh, thought he had been promised a job by Garfield, and he didn't get the job. And in any case, he, he shot Garfield and killed him. And Robert Lincoln was standing about two feet away from President Garfield when Garfield was mm. assassinated. Can I and then, that was 1881, incredibly, 20 years later, in 1901, uh, by that time Robert Lincoln had left politics. He went into business. He was head of the Pullman Company, which was a big deal in those days. He became very wealthy, and he was elected president of the U.S. Chamber of Commerce. There was a business exposition in Buffalo, New York. And President William McKinley invited Robert Lincoln to come to the business exposition since he was head of the U.S. Chamber of Commerce. And just as Robert Lincoln walked in the exhibition hall where this business exposition was taking place, there was a receiving line 
And a man got in the receiving line. He had his hand bandaged and had a revolver hidden under the bandage. And, of course, in those days, they didn't have uh, metal detectors. Anyhow, he came up uh, in the receiving line and shot and killed President William McKinley. And, again, Robert Lincoln was standing right there. And we say in our book, the all-time book of Fascinating Facts, uh, Robert Lincoln vowed at that time he would never again get anywhere near a president. And we say in the book, probably nobody would have invited him anyhow. <laughs> uh, and he he lived another 25 years, by the way. He lived until 1926 and built a home up in Vermont and basically stayed there and never went to Washington the rest of his life. Can I add, uh, I just did a little research and found out that uh, James Garfield was killed on a Saturday. So while uh, Friday is unlucky for some people, and normally we think of Garfield as hating Mondays, this Garfield hated Saturdays. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's right. Okay. What are uh, what are some of the other facts? As you're kind of researching and digging these kind of things up, were there even facts that surprised you? Oh, yeah. Uh, a lot. And I've been collecting these for like 50 years. So one thing, if you just want to talk about food for a moment, uh, I don't know how often we think about this, but we sit down to eat a hamburger, and we look at the hamburger, and do we ever stop to think, there is no ham in hamburgers, so why in the world are they called hamburgers? So there is no ham in them. <laughs> And the reason is, uh, the story is, that uh, a lot of German immigrants came to the United States in the late 1800s, and the people from the city of Hamburg, Germany, brought with them their custom of ground meat, which was unusual in those days. And they started uh, serving and eating ground meat here in the United States. People here started calling the ground meat hamburgers after the people from Hamburg, Germany. So the next time you have a hamburger, realize... There is no ham in it, but uh, the name comes from the city of origin, Hamburg, Germany. Very much, by the way, like Frankfurters. Uh, that word comes from Frankfurt, Germany, where Frankfurters were made. Wieners, we get that word from uh, the capital of Austria, Vienna, which the Germans pronounce as Wien in their language, W-E-I-N, and that's where the word Wieners comes from. Um, but anyhow, the next time you have a hamburger, realize... There ain't no ham. <laughs> and also, hamburgers. there's no Frank in Frankfurt, or no person named Frank. Maybe a rat. No. Maybe a rat named Frank. We don't know that, yeah, right? The true. barber of uh, Demon Street, or the Demon of Barber Street, whatever Fleet it was. Street. Fleet Street. That's what it was. <laughs> He'll have us believe a different story. Uh, the books you're going to be on for a couple hours tonight on Coast to Coast AM and taking some phone calls, correct? Exactly. Yes, Dave. Uh, Good. So people can check that out at Coast to Coast AM. Dot com and uh, I'll be hosting on the 20th and 21st of April, so make sure you check that out. Uh, thank you so much, Charles, for stopping by and giving us a little insight on Friday the 13th. Well, and we'd like to invite people to go to our website, which is knowledgeinanutshell.com. That's one word, knowledgeinanutshell.com, and you can see our book, The All-Time Book of Fascinating Facts, which has these stories and uh, lots of others in them, and uh, you can take a look at the book there. And it's it's uh, one nice thing about it, we found since it came out, that really all ages enjoy it. Uh, kids like it. Uh, adults, of course, do. Uh, people have bought it for their kids and vice versa. And uh, it does make a nice gift as well. 
Very good. Thank you, Charles Reichblum, our guest. And thank you, Mike uh, Kaplan, for coming in and spending some time with us. You're going to oh. be at Acme for the next two nights, 8 and 10.30 p.m. showings. A few tickets that still remain, so you can check that out online. And uh, make sure you go check out the show. Again, what are you going to do? Sit at home feeling blah and sorry for yourself because you it's crummy weather? No. Get out and go to Acme. Have a great time tonight. Have a couple of drinks and enjoy the comedy stylings of Mike Kaplan. And uh, it's been a great time sitting in. And remember, we opened up the show with Mark Anthony talking about the ghost of flight 401 and superstitions if you'd like to hear the entire story you can check out my show darknessradio.com tom here for my friends at walzer automotive group with some exciting news walzer is rolling out walzer care on new and most used cars they sell in minnesota well walzer care is a powertrain warranty with coverage for 10 years or 150,000 miles powertrain coverage is like major medical coverage for your car Engines, transmissions, all the really expensive stuff is covered. In addition, Walzer Care includes 24-hour roadside assistance. Lock your keys in your car, run out of gas, have a flat tire. Guess what? Walzer has your back. The best thing about Walzer Care? It's free with purchase. That's right, I said free. So, if you're shopping for a new or used Subaru, Honda, Nissan, Mazda, Toyota, Buick, GMC, Chrysler, Jeep, Dodge, Ram, Hyundai, or Chevrolet, see my friends at Walzer. And get Walzer Care for free. Michael Bryant, Bradshaw and Bryant. So what's the latest? The well, latest is we're representing people who are injured through no fault of their own. Uh, people come to us. We talk to them about what their rights are. We talk to them about things that, you know, adjusters would call them up and ask them about. And we represent people in order to get them justice for the injured. And have been for a long time. Very, very successful. No question. I, I, you know, I do meet a lot of your clients. They come up to me on the street and whatever, and they talk about this, that, or the other thing. And they both say, why do you guys hang out with Doug Sprinthal? <laughs> and I just had no answer. for. <laughs> he just looks away, you big baby. In any case, that's the whole deal. So people, they got any problem whatsoever, personal injury or other legal problems, whatever, they just reach out to Brad, Sean, Bryant. Yeah, Joe and I have both been president of the trial lawyers for the state. So we talk to people about all sorts of issues. The consultation is always free, and that's what we do. Michael Bryant, Brad, Sean, Bryant. Uh, all right, we're just going to have to disable line one on the air during the show because line one sucks. And Alex tried to block it, but she went through to line two. So Dave Schrader will be calling in on line three, hopefully. Is there, is there any way you can just disable line one? I can't. Yeah, just I, unplug the, uh, yeah. unplug the uh, phone line from the, uh, the hybrid. All right. Let's get that done, because when Dave calls in, we want him on a nice... Oh, he's going to be talking about an interesting subject, conspiracy theorists on school shootings. Uh, these, every time. I know these conspiracy theorists are unbelievable, aren't they? They're amazing, amazing people. Uh, that what, What's his name? Alex? Trebek. Jones. Uh, Alex Jones. Alex Trebek. <laughs> Although Alex Trebek is going to moderate a political uh, debate coming up, I can't remember where it is. I don't know New Hampshire or someplace, but apparently he's going to he's going to moderate the debate. Why does he get to talk about it? He's Canadian. It's none of his beeswax. Well, Mike, just let me know when Dave's ready to go, and we'll be good to go. All right, that'll work. So, Alex, yes, everything is good. Yeah, Fawn was really amazing on both plane rides. That's what I understand. She, yeah, Alex had to travel, and she was worried that, that Fawn might misbehave, but she did not down uh, 
leaving and then coming back home, she was good too, huh? Yep, she was fantastic. And I had the guy sitting next to me on both plane rides were like middle-aged men that weren't like super enthusiastic enthusiastic but they didn't seem bothered by her no they kind of just kept to themselves but across the aisle next to me on the way back there was a gal she didn't have him with her but she has three she has 18 month old triplet boys holy hannah so she was like does she want my cookie does she want she was like trying to <laughs> triplet boys that are 18 months old i know and they've flown with them before too i'm like i really? cannot even imagine yeah at 18 months. Oh, my God. That would be a bit. Three. Three of them at once. And they, she had them naturally, too. Really? Yeah, which, like, that, like, is extremely rare. How far apart? What? How far apart were they born? Minutes or? Yeah. Now, Alex, did you have to make an emergency landing because someone would not stop farting? No. No, you didn't hear. You didn't have that. I didn't have the. Uh, how about the Luckily. woman holding her panties up to the, the the air blowing up? Did you hear about that? What? There was a woman on a flight. Where was it? In the, where uh, was that? She decided to take off her cotton panties and hold them up to the air blower that you know it's over your head on the airline. What? She held her panties up for twenty two minutes in front of the air blower. Did she pee in them or something? What? What? Yeah, here it is. Insane video of woman drying her underwear on a packed flight is going viral. Look at this, Alex. No! <laughs> ah, damn it, I just unplugged my See thing. See what happens uh, when you try to show me a strange woman's underwear. I'm not so it's from Turkey to Moscow. What the so, hell? Okay, I'm plugging it in the wrong spot. Where does this plug into? Why did I try to show Alex? God, why don't I have See? a few more problems today? Oh, you know where it plugs in? I thought it plugged in there, but it wouldn't come on. Or I guess it restarted. You probably have to push the power button. Probably just have to push the power button. Yep, that's it. Thank you. Is Dave ready to go? Dave Schrader. That's his name, ladies and gentlemen. What's up? Hey, Tom. I'm well, I, was, I wanted to touch base with you guys on the story that's kind of busting, and I'm so glad somebody with a, a large format is finally taking on these crazy-ass conspiracy theorists. Right. Jimmy Kimmel, uh, Stephen Colbert, and Trevor Noah have all ended up discussing um, this non-story story that's in the news about the uh, shooting survivors. Every time there's one of these tragedies, um, going back years, even you know around the Aurora uh, movie theater shooting, and mm-hmm. then with the tragedy at Sandy Hook, and now here we are again uh, with the horrific shooting that took place in Florida, there are these people that come out of the woodwork that have these whacked out conspiracies that these are false flag operations or that they are not nobody was really killed these are what are known as crisis actors that are brought in to play this out so that the government can either try to figure out um how people will respond in these kind of situations and watch the rest of the world kind of either melt down or unfold with it uh if they have their agenda to try to strip us of our guns this is the way to do it by creating these false shootings that are not taking place and it, it's horrific um it was it was specifically uh, really a bad time at the sandy hook massacre that took place I, yes uh, it was i remember we, that we knew people on the ground tim and i knew people on the ground out there um i know a guy that was stepping over bodies at that <sighs> site and he has no skin in the game in this deal. There's, he's not being paid by government officials to claim that this didn't happen. But there are a large contingent of very violent and hateful people that will go to the ends of the earth to try to prove their point. 
As a matter of fact, if you remember when the little kids escaped Sandy Hook and ran to the bus driver's house, yes, and he helped them on their driveway, the bus driver began getting death threats from the truthers. What? Because the truthers knew this guy is part of the whole political machine. And now this guy who did nothing but, but protect and save the lives of these children and keep them safe until their families could get there, suddenly his life was thrown into chaos. And anybody around them had their lives thrown in chaos. And it is, it's a sickness, Tom. You know, doing our show, we've talked conspiracy theories from time yeah. to time. And if it's a Kennedy conspiracy theory or did John Lennon um, or, you know, Paul McCartney fake his death, those are conspiracies I don't mind chatting about because there's so much fodder out there and there's some legitimacy to this. But to start buying into the idea that the government or some special interest group um, is putting these things in play just to scare us so that they can uh, the government can take away our guns. It hasn't happened, not since Aurora, not since Sandy Hook, and not through the hundreds of other shootings that have taken place. So I don't know when the conspiracy theorists are going to give up the idea that this is just a way for the government to try to take our guns away from us. Why do they keep thinking well, I mean, we're having all of these burials, all of these funerals? Uh, it's all fake. So all the funerals are fake and they're not burying anybody? Yeah. Show me the bodies. That's what their responses are. Show me the footage. Why isn't there footage of this? Why isn't there footage of that? And unfortunately, we do have the media to blame for some of these stories. And the reason I say that is, and again, using Sandy Hook as an example, everybody was in such a fervor to be the first one to break any kind of news on that story. Right. That they were they were taking, you know, somebody would be standing there and overhear somebody else say, I think there was somebody else walking in the woods. Hey, we just have this in now. There was a second shooter seen walking in the woods. Oh, yeah. And that was proven not to be true. There were all these (sighs) facts, but now they spin them out, and then these conspiracy nuts uh, start reading into this that, oh, the, the government's shutting down these news sources. And you'll notice that this school, and this is the other one at Sandy Hook, this school had been closed down for decades. It was nothing but a storage facility. Oh, my God. And you have people in the community whose lives oh. are shattered. And there are, there are moments, you know, I mean, and, and I can see, if you're on the outside looking in, how some of the points do look strange. One of the fathers came out after Sandy Hook to, to talk to people in this big forum, and, and he was dressed, I believe, in a suit, and a you know, bunch of the locals were there, politicos and, and everything, and they're up introducing him, and you see him off to the side, and he's talking to somebody, he's kind of laughing and nodding, and then he walks up to the microphone and gets very solemn and then starts talking about the case. Mm-hmm. They're like pointing to that, saying, look, he's a complete fake, he's an actor, Two seconds ago, he's laughing. Now he's he's up here sobbing and, and trying to make us feel bad about his dead kid that's not really dead. And again, without any kind of logic or rationale that maybe he was just talking to somebody there, you know, in, in, in that brief moment, there was a little bit of, man, it's hot. Yeah, you sure? It really is hot out here. This is not going to be fun. You know, that kind of deal. And then he turns and he's talking to somebody about something unrelated and then walks up to the microphone and then has to start to speak about his child that was just slaughtered right and that that may be where the emotion comes in but in the minds of some of these people no that's not it he's he's a fake he's a uh, part of these crisis actors and and so and and what is driving them to just to get everybody's guns away from them that's what they think they're trying to do well there's you know there's many different topics and there are some like i said there are some weird ties if you look i mean it just so happened that they were there was um a, I don't know if it was a military exercise. There was an exercise that was taken close by near um, Sandy Hook mm-hmm. that was an interesting little exercise that was going on. 
for, uh, and I, I can't remember exactly what it was, but it was terroristic threats or something. And it was in, close in the area, and they're like, isn't that interesting that it's right down the road from where this took place? And right. blah, blah, blah. And, you know, they're leading that to believe that this was just all part of that programming. Um, but the main gist is it's the, you know, gun supporters. And listen, I'm not saying all gun supporters, so I don't need you writing me no, email no, or showing no. up on my door. I'm just saying it's these lunatic fringe gun supporters who time and time again say these stories are fake because they're trying to take our guns away from us. Nobody's trying to take guns away. We're trying to find a way to curtail this kind of violence happening in the schools. And, and I know I read the new conspiracy theory is that um, the, the makers of the AR-15 were recently uh, facing bankruptcy, and gun sales are down 20% since Trump took over office. And as this company is now facing uh, bankruptcy and looking to possibly fold, the shooting takes place, and all you keep hearing in the news is AR-15, 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 and now suddenly their stock is on the rise again because people are buying the guns because they're afraid it's going to be taken out and they're not going to be able to buy those guns in the future. So there's, there's a whole myriad of different conspiracies and angles that t- people are taking on this case, trying to make some point. But th- the real point of it is they're completely uh, dismissing the loss that these families yeah, are dealing with. I mean, that's the whole problem. How can you keep running your yapper about this stuff and these poor people? have lost so much and they just I don't know I, I talked about this this morning if if I had lost Andy or Alex in a school shooting I, it would have now been at least 15 years ago but I, I would have never gotten over it I would have never right. gotten over that somebody going in and taking out other people's children I, I just don't understand uh what the situation is i i I don't understand why what is it do we understand the psychology of um you know i i i like this and i like that and people are mean to me and i can't get along to anybody so i think i'll go kill a bunch of people i don't even know what gets your brain into that position i i don't know and i don't think i ever want to get into that point where i can even understand that i mean listen i was bullied as a kid i was bullied mercilessly i got my ass kicked on a daily basis for four years yeah i ended up having a nervous breakdown in fourth grade where my mom had to come to the school to check on me because i i just couldn't stop sobbing and couldn't pull my stuff together yeah she was witness firsthand of the things that were taking place at the school and my mom to her credit heard me listened to me came in and examined it for herself judged it removed me from that school, put me into a different school, and I never had those problems again. Yeah, it's wonderful. Right, but you have those moments. You know, I mean, I, it was it was bad. I, I can't say that I understand something then that I want to go in and hurt everyone uh-huh. and, and do this damage, but I guess in this disassociative nature that we seem to be building, you know, where people are, are breaking from one another, breaking from community, breaking from the sense that they can talk to others without having their eyes rolled or, well, we all have problems. You know, yeah. the general answer that's given. I, I don't know why people are doing this. I don't know if they feel it's the only way they're going to get heard and they're going to speak up. But, you know, in the end, if anybody out there is listening and contemplating hurting themselves or someone else, there are helplines you can call and talk this thing through with experts who will watch and talk to you and help you through this. But realize that if you're doing this because you've been bullied, all you're doing is going in and bullying a bunch of people that never get a chance to heal from that bullying. You're going to take out a bunch of lives trying to show what happened to you, and that's not fair to the multiple lives that will be affected by this. Yeah, that's the whole thing. These people, these 17 kids 
at Parkland. I highly doubt any of them were the bullies. And, and this guy wasn't really bullied anyway. He was just a pain in the ass, wasn't he? He just wouldn't cooperate with anybody. He was just a jerk. Right. We don't really know what happened. We just know that yeah. he was expelled for, you know. For acting up. Not a great guy. Yeah, apparently not a great guy. I, I don't know. It's, you know, and I, it, people get locked in on these things. The first thing I heard when I heard about the Parkland shooting, why is it always these fat white guys that do it? Well, first of all, he's a thin Mexican, but other than that, uh, you know, why do people jump to conclusions? Whatever they want it to be is what they see it as being. I think in a lot of cases, and why people are so willing to believe in conspiracies like this or pigeonhole things is because we want to make sense of a senseless tragedy. Yeah, I suppose. It it, it can't possibly be that just one person is that flipping evil and that they were in our community the whole time. It has to be that there's some grander scheme that the the government is doing this to take away control of guns or take away control of our schools. It has to be something grander and bigger because then maybe, maybe then it'll make sense to us of how powerless we really are as opposed to just being good neighbors again and watching out for one another and realizing when you have a kid in your neighborhood that has issues and people taking the time to say, hey, are you okay? We'll take a quick break. Be right back, Tom Bernard Show. Tom Bernard here with CEO of North American Banking Company, Michael Bilski. Great to have you here, Michael. Always a pleasure to be with you, Tommy. So you're splitting the tab at lunch, you're pitching in on a gift for a coworker. maybe you got to pay that football pool entry fee, and you need to settle up now. What do you do if you don't have cash on hand? You could use one of those third-party transferring services that comes with fees and takes days, but how secure are they? Why not send money quickly and safely with the click of a button, without the hassle of a middleman? What's the answer, Michael? The X-Chat Gap, brought to you by your local community bank. It's safe, secure, and simple to use. The X-Check app. Simply add a new contact by entering their name, phone number, and email into the app. Enter a dollar amount and then initiate the transfer. To accept the payment, the contact simply enters their bank information through a secure link sent via text or email. X-Check. Safe and simple from my banker, North American Banking Company. A better banking experience. Member FDIC, an equal housing lender. Tom Bernard here for Whiting Clinic LASIK and Cataract. There's no better time than now to ditch your contacts and pitch your glasses. Whiting Clinic is the place I trusted to do this for me, and it's not just me. There's a reason Whiting Clinic is the number one LASIK practice in the United States. Dr. Whiting's unsurpassed experience, the most advanced Contura laser technology, and lifetime coverage are all backed by Whiting Clinic's best price guarantee. Being the experts they are, they wanted to make sure you have the very best for your eyes, just like I did. Call now for Whiting Clinic's $500 off LASIK savings. If you're like me, not a big fan of glasses and contact lenses, then it's time you found out if you're a candidate for LASIK. And Whiting Clinic is definitely the place to go. Call 855-554-2020 today or visit whitingclinic.com to set up your free LASIK consultation. Remember to tell them that I sent you and save $500 on your LASIK. Offer good for a limited time. Call Whiting Clinic for details. Good for both eyes only. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Really, this is what you play? You've got to change your evil ways, baby. That is the deal. Dave Schrader with us. We're talking about this whole conspiracy theory thing. These nut jo- Didn't Alex Jones just go through a really hideous divorce and he lost his children and his wife thinks he's completely nuts? And what was his deal? 
Yeah, I'm not sure. I, I try to stay out of Alex Jones's circumference because it just seems like a, a world of uh, psychotic nature and, and reacting, and that's just not where I need to be. Honestly, what? Uh, when did he get so big? Because he's got a pretty big listening audience, doesn't he? Oh, he's been know, around for a while. Of, yeah, he's been around for a while, but you've got a lot of disenfranchised people in our country that yeah. don't feel like they have anybody to listen to or turn to. And when you have somebody who's given power of a radio show that's heard all over and and he's put on CNN and MSNBC and all of these deals as an expert and you start hearing from him, if, if he's appearing as an expert, he must be the real deal. You know, or, some, you know, yeah, if, that's if true. If people want, want his opinion, it must be because he knows what's really going on. It, so I think he's, he's finding an audience with people that just feel like they can't find any other answers that make sense. So this guy... Maybe it sounds so crazy because it's real. Maybe this is what's really happening. And yeah. I, I got to tell you, Tom, one thing that has me a little unnerved right now, you know, we got letters from our kids' schools yesterday, how oh, a lot of the kids okay. wanted to do a protest march and a walk. Right. And, and I'm, I'm all for that. I think these kids have to have an outlet. I think they have to feel like they've been heard. What concerns me is... It's being promoted on, on news that these students are doing this. You know, it's hard enough to get into the schools and hurt children. I don't want them out walking around out in front of a school where some lunatic can just pull up and make another scene right. and do something horrific. So there's got to be a way. And, you know, there, there was the No Child Left Behind program a few years ago regarding schools and, and passing. Maybe we need a No Child Left Behind program in schools to help people that feel isolated. And if you know that there are children in your school that are not making friends or they're out of it, maybe there needs to be student mentors that are assigned to them. Right. Students that when you want, you know, these kids want a change and they have to see that this change needs to take place. But they also have to realize that there are kids in their school that are bullying. There are kids in their school that are doing nasty, horrific things and, and spreading more and more hate. So what you do is you start fixing it from the inside out. You take care of the kids around you that might be lonely. You know, I just moved. My oldest son is in high school, and I forgot how damn hard it is to make friends when you're in high school. You've already kind of grown up with most of these kids through grade school and middle school, and now you're in a new school, and he doesn't really have any friends yet, and we've been there for a few months. Mm -hmm. So, you know, why isn't there a mentorship program that incorporates new kids into these situations or kids that we know are being bullied so that they can feel like they belong to some community? Well, that is a good thing. I was very, very lucky, and I talk about this quite often because I don't hear anybody else talking about it. When I was a kid, 11 years old, we moved from Plymouth Avenue up to the West Broadway area up in, in North Minneapolis. And there were a couple of fathers up there, of friends of mine. I made friends quite easily, thank God. But uh, Andy Fisher's father... And Cyril Laurent, the Laurent boy's father, were really, really nice to me and included me and they kept telling me, hey, you're going to be fine. You're a smart kid. You'll be okay. Are kids hearing that from from friends, fathers anymore? Are there any fathers no. stepping up? Is that happening anymore? I, I'm no, sure it does, everyone's, but in a very, yeah. no one, Everyone's afraid of being labeled a pedophile now. But just, I mean, cause they, seriously, it meant so much to me what they did. I mean, Mr. Laurent walked up and he put his arm around my shoulder and he said, Tom, you're, you're a really smart kid. You're going to do really, really well. And I want you to know we're very, very fond of you. It, was, it meant the world to me. I was a, like a 13-year-old, 14-year-old kid when he did it. And Andy Fisher's father used to sit at the kitchen table with me doing math, math stuff, math problems. 
He said, God, you're really good at math. I mean, that just doesn't happen anymore, huh? No, the sense of community is gone. Yeah, it kind of is. Like Andy said, there are so many more concerns now than there used to be. It didn't mean that there weren't pedophiles back then and that there are still pedophiles now that will act nice to you. But the fact is that everybody is now in a much more paranoid way that, hey, you put your armor on me and draw me in close to give me comforting words. I don't know that I'm real comfortable with that. Should you be touching me? And and sexual harassment. Right. And then that's because of of the world that we're in now and that it's so prevalent on our news that any kind of motion towards you starts to make people feel uncomfortable. And and sometimes what the simple act is of literally just putting the arm around somebody and saying, you're okay, Tiger. I'm here for you. You're a good kid. Everybody's so paranoid about what your angle is. Yeah. And we've lost community. There's no communities like there was. You know, I I grew up in 19, uh, early, late 70s through the mid 80s. And in my town in Medina, Illinois, the neighbors all knew each other. Maybe not well, but we all knew each other and knew whose kids were whose, and we all did the telegraph system down the line of, hey, where's Danny? Danny's at Dave's. Danny's at Dave's. Danny's over at Dave's. And it would spread down the road. And we all knew where everybody was. We didn't even have phone numbers for each other, but we'd yell out the window, and everybody knew who, who was who and what was what. But you don't have that sense of real community anymore. There's not that um that deal and and truthfully if if andy came home from school and you hadn't had that experience as a as a kid uh tom and you were listening to the news nowadays right and andy said yeah i went over to bob's house and his dad took me aside and put his arm around me and said you know what you're a smart kid you're gonna do great andy you're you'd be like what the hell is he touching my kid for (laughs) you're right because it's not what i can do see i i that thought never entered my it was this great compliment that he would take time and do that and the touching my shoulder part of it was just, hey, I'm here for you. Don't worry about it. Exactly. My, and it's totally you know, different now, kid. isn't it? Yeah, we had a kid in my neighborhood whose dad had passed away. And he'd come over to play catch, and I wouldn't be home. And he'd go, oh, I just came over to see if Dave wanted to play catch. And my dad would say, oh, he's not home. Hold on. And my dad would go in and get the glove, and he'd go out in the backyard and throw catch with this kid. There you go. But you don't see that anymore because, again, everybody then everybody wants to know, what are you up to? See, that's, it's sad. You have to protect the children, I understand. But it's so sad that that can't happen anymore. Somebody say, hey, don't worry about it. Everything will be good. Everything will be fine. Everything will be good. I don't know. That makes me very, very sad that that's the situation. You know, I, I got, think we can. I think we can get to I that hope so. Again. I think people just have to get out of their, their houses, put their electronics down, stop staring at their phone and in the palm of their hand, and talk to one another. I mean, you know, it's crappy weather here. We just moved in. No neighbors are poking their heads out right now, but uh, as soon as spring thaw hits, I plan on going around and introducing myself and uh, letting people know, hey, I'm here, and I've got some kids, and this is what's going on, and, you know, hey, if, if there's ever anything you guys need, we're right down the street from you, and just try to get that sense of community for myself again because it's something I miss as a child, right. and I want my kids to grow up in a place that I don't have to worry, you know, about what are my neighbors doing and who are my neighbors and what's going on and, you know. When you really don't know anymore, you can't live in a perpetual state of fear. You've got to live in in a place where you're all comfortable and in knowing that, hey, life is going to happen, but let's make the best of what we got instead of living in this uh, chronic terror zone. You know, we've been looking back lately, and Andy's been doing some research on this, and uh, we did this morning on the, on the morning show, we did um, a search. Do you know the very first school shooting we could find in... I guess you'd have to call it the colonies because it wasn't the United States yet. The first school shooting we could find 
was in 1756, 21 years before the United States became the United States. So we weren't even the United States yet when the first school right. shooting happened. Isn't that amazing? Well, it, you know, you have school shootings, and let's not just brush over the fact that there are work shootings all the time. People all are being the time, yes. Work. Yep. Happened and in the you know, 80s, it was going postal. Yep. Postal workers right. would shoot up places, apparently, yep. all the yep. time, and you never hear about that anymore. That's where going postal came from? Yeah, exactly. Wow. Yes, postal workers would... A couple of a few postal workers actually. I did not know that. And you know what it really comes down to, and I know this. Sometimes it's the simplest things that sound way too boiled down to be real. But the thing is, if we just learn to be kind to one another again, Tom. Yeah. Listen, you know what happens? You listen to these work shootings, right? Where the guy goes in or the lady goes in, shoots the place up, and lets two or three people live because you were always nice to me. Yeah, that's right. You know what? Maybe that's just, right. We need to just show kindness again, and and. It's hard, man. It's hard to be kind sometimes when you're having a bad day. But you never know whose day you can turn around with a smile and a how you doing and actually stopping to listen how you doing instead of it passing in the hall, you know, where nobody really matters to anybody anymore. And if, if there was that kindness shown, I think we would start to see this dissolve. And, yeah, you're, we're all going to have those coworkers who are a pain in the ass. But you right, don't know what their right. battles are at home. You don't know what they're going through. Right. And I know you feel like you got enough in your own life to worry about, but the kindness that you show to strangers will be reflected back in your life a hundredfold. And I believe that because you never know when it's just that word that was the thing that kept that person from going off the rails that day. Yeah, I could see that as the absolute truth. I could see that happening. I will tell you this, though, and it's something I do talk about throughout my life, several different places that I've worked. When people needed help, when they needed, you know, some money, when I, if I needed to take a pay cut so somebody wouldn't lose their job, I did it. And I will tell you this, in every single instance, those people stabbed me right in the back because it puts them in a position when they, where they feel beholding to that person, in me in this case, and they feel kind of weakened by it and they resent you for it because you had the ability to do it and they didn't. Therefore you made them, they think you made them look weak. Isn't that weird? It is. But in the, in the other sense of it, Tom, when you reach out your hand to somebody in need, there are the people who hear it, accept it, know what it is and appreciate that value. So it's, you know, because there are a few bad apples, we can't just turn our back on everybody no, and no, you're treat right. everybody the same. And the fact of the matter is, whether you believe in God or not or whatever's coming up next, whatever the next level is, I just want to try to go there knowing that I've done as much good as I can while I'm here. And if it means that I do good things for others and I just get my ass kicked, okay, at least I can go to bed tonight knowing I did my best to try to make other people's lives better. I think it's a wonderful thing. Now, I think it's a great way to look at life. You did what you had to do um, in, in your own mind. You didn't have to do it, but in your mind you had to do it because that's who you are. That is uh, greatly appreciated in life. People, um, There are lots of people out there that, that are very, very giving. And uh, I don't know. I just I really, really like that part of life. There's enough bad in the world that when you run across somebody really good like that, you just cherish it, don't you? Yeah. And then, you know, when you look back at it and it's, it's, it's easier for all of us to focus on the negative and the bad things that have yep. happened to us and the bad people that turn up because they're the most raucous and irritating and, you know, like a sliver under your skin, they're the ones that continue to cause an issue, but it's the ones that are, that you made a, a positive impact 
in their lives. Sometimes you don't even realize what you've done for them. But the fact is that if you look back at how many people have had a job because of Tom Bernard or have had a step up because of Tom Bernard or whatever, you know, that's what you focus on. And, and sometimes when I lose my way in the darkness and I reach out, it's funny, my listeners will reach out to us and they'll be like, you know, I just want you to know your show saved my life or yeah. what you said the other day helped me. Or and, and you sometimes forget that something that you said or something that you did may have helped put somebody else on a track that made their life better. And you may never hear that. And we can't live for the rewards, you know. We gotta, we just gotta keep plugging ahead and doing what we do, and hope that our lives make a difference. And in some way, you know, we'll we'll have left that indelible mark that will be remembered long after we're gone. It's really funny. I just did a little business with a, a lawyer. A lawyer came to the offices here before the show started today because I had a, a transaction that I had to do, and it was very nice, very very pleasant. And uh, you know, we signed some documents, and life was good. And and as he was leaving, he said, how many more years are you going to do the show? Like 20 more years? I said, well, I don't know about 20 more years, but I'll do it for a while. And he goes, yeah, I don't, I don't know what we'd do without you, man. I mean, it just it's, how wonderful is that for somebody to say something that nice? Yeah, I don't know, right. I don't know what we'd do without the, uh, without the morning show. Right, we heard that the other day at dinner. Some random person walked up to you yeah. and said, thank you for being there and waking me up every day and being my friend. That's, that's huge. It is. It's so, so nice. It'll, you start weighing that against a few yep. insignificant jackasses that have made your life bad, but realize how many more good things you did. That's that's pretty powerful. No question about it. Now, we're going to see you in studio tomorrow, right? Yep, I will be there tomorrow. Looking forward to it, Pally. Thank you, sir. Thanks, Dave. Darkness Dave, ladies and gentlemen. Darkness Radio, Beyond the Darkness, of course, podcast. Doing very, very well in the world. I like Dave's take on things because he studies that uh, stuff like, you know, the school shootings and the conspiracy theorists. And, and I, it is pretty amazing. I know that the whole school shooting was fake and all those 29 funerals were all fake. What? Does anybody get that intricate at anything? You're going to have 29 fake funerals to get people to give up their rifle? People. Yeah, someone would be talking. Tons of people think that 9-11 was still a conspiracy. I know. Yeah, that's true. Like Jesse Ventura, for one. A lot of people. We'll be right back. We have a very special guest coming up next, Patrick J. Deneen. We'll be right back. Tom Bernard Show. Tom here for Sabre Plumbing, Heating, and Air Conditioning. Right now, Sabre and Bryant are teaming up to offer 0% financing for 36 months when you buy a new Bryant furnace. This is the perfect time to replace your old furnace with a new trouble-free, energy-efficient furnace from Sabre. And when you buy Bryant equipment, you're getting one of the most trusted names in the industry, this 0% offer is available for a limited time. Call Sabre Plumbing, Heating, and Air Conditioning to find out more, and please tell them that Tom sent you. Sabre and Bryant, whatever it takes. It's Tom, and I'm thrilled to let you know that for a very limited time, the ultimate weight loss program powered by Nutmos is having an early holiday sale. Well, you'll receive 20 to 30% off the cost of the program. Shed those unwanted pounds and look great before the holidays get here. Lose 20 pounds or more. Consumer guarantee. See website for details, ultimatewl.com. Ultimate's plan is unlike any other weight loss program out there. With over 1 million pounds lost to date, and clients like me will tell you that this is a weight loss program that works. This plan is customized for each individual person, and the Ultimate Weight Loss staff will be there for you every step of the way. They help me change my life, and they can help you too. 
Start to live your healthiest life and schedule an immediate consultation in their new Edina location or Plymouth with expanded hours. And look great for the holidays. Sale ends Saturday, November 9th. Call now and save. 763-333-7337. In the second place, they're all completely gassed. They've given it everything on the global bucket. It's Dina Nelson leading Jesse Diggins into the final turn. Can Diggins answer? As the roars rattle around the cross-country stadium in Pyeongchang, Sweden. The U.S. and Norway coming to the line. Here comes Diggins! Here comes Diggins! Diggins making the play around Sweden. Jesse Diggins to the line. Yes! And it is Jesse Diggins delivering a long moment. Sorry, Patrick, but we had to play it. She's a she's a Minnesota woman, twenty six years old, Ms. Diggins. It's Jessica Diggins, right? Yeah, Jesse. Yeah. Jesse Diggins uh, won the gold medal. She and the team won the gold medal. You, pardon me. I saw that in the paper this morning. Congratulations. Nah, it's very very exciting. You know, Minnesota. It's yeah. freezing cold and the weather sucks. So and our sports team sucks. And our so. sports team yeah. sucks. So. <laughs> It's just one of those. Hey, try deal. living, try living in South Bend, Indiana. We don't even <laughs> South Bend. Yeah, plenty of good stuff happening in South Bend. Yeah, I know. We sometimes we have a good football team. Sometimes you have a really good football team. As a matter yeah, of fact, <laughs> as a matter of fact, you do. Patrick J. Deneen, radical critique challenges us to think hard about liberalism's inherent flaws. Um, I find it interesting. There was an article that I read in the first hour of the show today that talked about the the KKK is losing favor with millennials because it's apparently too boring. And uh, the news service that delivered the story that said far right-wing millennials are turning away from the KKK and finding their own white supremacy group. How do they know they're far right-wing Millennials, because uh, I believe the KKK was started by the Democratic Party, the Dixiecrats in the South. So, why is it just assumed now that everyone that wants to be a member of a, a psycho organization like that uh, feels one way or the other politically? I don't understand that. How do you automatically assume this is what I think across the board because I'm nuts? I, I, it makes no sense to me. Um. Patrick, I grew up in a, in a house, very, very poor family. I uh, grew up Roman Catholic. Uh, my mother was a diner waitress. She was a hardline Democrat. I mean, she didn't get nuts about it. She didn't hate Republicans or anything like that. Uh, that was not the situation. Uh, so I grew up, you know, well, first of all, one of the reasons I think my mother was a Democrat is because I did grow up Roman Catholic and JFK was elected president and having a Catholic president was a very big deal in my house. I'll tell you that. She uh, really enjoyed that. So I grew up around, you know, the, the Democratic Party and then got to know some Republicans as well. But I tell people this all the time. They ask me, why are you not still later in life? Now, why are you not still a Democrat? And I said, because in my mind, the Democratic Party has turned on Martin Luther King and his whole idea and his ideals. To me, all that matters is the content of of one's character. All of this hating one another over what we think and what we feel. I sincere, Do you think it's fair for me to think that the Democratic Party has turned its back on Martin Luther King Jr.? Well, the, the, um, many, much of the language of today's identity politics 
departs from Martin Luther King's emphasis on a kind of shared yep. destiny that we have as citizens and that we should be judged based on the content of our character. And I think, of course, on, on college campuses today where you see so much identity politics, there is obviously a far left that favors identity politics, but yeah. you know, there, there are some really noble people on the left, uh, you call them sort of old-fashioned liberals, who are critical of identity politics for exactly this reason. So you see both people on what you would think is the right and the left uh, um, articulating criticisms of, uh, of this kind of identity politics. Mm-hmm. Why liberalism failed? So why did liberalism fail? Well, uh, I guess I, I could start with a kind of a story, which is... Um, I like stories. I <laughs> yeah, well, we, we've 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 grown up, and I think we've grown up in a time. I'm, I won't won't assume your age, but my my age, in which we, you know, in the wake of the Cold War, we sort of thought that there was a uh, that the two poles you could identify politically was either kind of on the pole of individual rights and autonomy of of, of individuals on the side of the right, and statism and collectivism on the side mm-hmm. of the left. And over the years, something that I've really noticed in my, especially in my students, as, as I've gotten a bit older and they're getting seemingly younger, is that uh, that divide doesn't exist anymore for them. Uh, they're, they're the most individualistic human beings that have ever existed, probably in the, in the history of the world. Uh, they're, they're not getting married. They're not having children. They don't join a religion. If they grew up in a religion, they're leaving it in record numbers. They're not patriotic. They don't join political parties. They show very low levels of trust. And you could keep going down the kind of social science data. But on the other hand, they're, they're, they're very enthusiastic supporters of, of what we would think of as statism. They, they overwhelmingly voted for Barack Obama. They see the state as their kind of friend and partner. And kind of what I came to realize was that there's a kind of fascinating kind of wedding that's taken place between individualism and statism, that the state increasingly can provide the things, the goods, that allow people to live lives disconnected disconnected with each other. Mm-hmm. And so the irony is that, I'm, as I suggest, liberalism has failed because it's not statism versus individualism anymore. It's kind of the perfect wedding between the two. You know, I, I'm going to have to mull that for a second because it's kind of scary in a way. So the marriage of the two, um, for a long time, yeah, without getting into I'm probably older than you are. As I said, I was, I was around when JFK was elected president. I was very, very young. Well, I was 11 years old when he was elected president. No, excuse me. I was 11 years old when he was assassinated. I was only eight years old when he was elected uh, president of the United States. So you know about how old I am now. Matter of fact, you know exactly how old I am now. <laughs> what I've watched. And again, we grew up extremely poor, a very, very poor family. So you had this feeling like, you know, we're, we are maybe, I wonder if my mom is catching the short end of the stick. Uh, my dad wasn't, was not present in the house. Um, you know, let's all band together and let's all, you know, uh, become socialists and that'll be one. But then I kept reading about socialism and how it never works. Has, well, I suppose socialism in Norway works because they have so much oil money that I guess socialism can work there. Is that correct? Yeah, I think that's probably, if you're going to have socialism, make sure you have a lot of oil. <laughs> make sure you have a lot of dough coming in to cover oh, it everything. Didn't seem to work out. didn't seem to work out in Venezuela, that said. Uh, yeah, I was just about to say, how did they mess that one up? How did they, Patrick? How I know that Hugo Chavez was a murdering scumbag, but how did that entire country fall apart? Because he's been dead, what, a couple of years now, right? 
Right. Well, I think they're starting to run out of oil as part of the problem. So it's hard to continue to sort of uh, uphold a society without any productive capacity whatsoever without that basis anymore. So I should, what I should do is I should step up as the Hugo Chavez of North Dakota then. I could just take over the entire state of North Dakota. I wouldn't uh, recommend that. <laughs> it's probably not a good idea. What does a young person, because my son Andy, who you just heard there, he's 31 years old. Uh, our daughter, uh, uh, Alex, is in studio as well. She's just turned 29 years old. What should these people look for? Because it's not Democrats and Republicans anymore. It's not conservatives and it's not liberals. It, it changes, it seems to me, on a daily basis. What do they have to look forward to as far as political ideals? Well, I, I actually think that uh, I'm, I teach at, 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 I have taught at fairly elite universities, and it's been an honor and a privilege to be at some of these institutions. But on the other hand, uh, the students that I teach, which you would think they'd sort of feel like they grab the brass ring, they are the most anxious, uh, insecure human beings right. maybe have ever existed uh, because they know how perilous and how fragile their success is. The only thing they have to fall back on, they recognize, the only thing they have to fall back on is their own sort of continued success and in some cases luck uh, just to continue to uh, stay on top of the game. In other words, what we've, we've created a society, and I have a chapter in my book called Liberalism is Anti-Culture, in order to create these free and liberated individuals, uh, we've actually flattened culture. You described the way you grew up, and it's not unlike the way that I grew up. Mm-hmm. But one thing we did have was a very thick culture, a kind of set, set of institutions that we could turn to, and memberships and relationships that we had. So even if you weren't well off, it wasn't that you necessarily felt like you were on the brink of sort of falling off the face of the earth. Correct. You actually kind of felt some degree of security, knowing that you had friends and neighbors and family, often extended family. Uh, Our students today, these young people today, uh, they kind of know they're on their own. And uh, as a result, this anti-culture that has freed us has also in some ways created a condition in which these young people will often turn to the state because it's the only thing that they feel that can secure their futures. Uh, So the irony is that which makes us more free actually ends up kind of putting us into a new state of bondage. Patrick, it's interesting you bring that up because just in the previous hour, we were talking about the fact, and I'll do this very quickly because we literally were just talking about this, that when I was a young boy, 13 years old, 14 years old, my father was not present in the house. My mother worked 12, 14, 16 hours a day, but two of my friend's fathers took me aside and said, Tom, you're a smart kid. You're going to do fine. Don't worry about it. Uh, Mr. Laurent. Uh, put put his hand on my shoulder and said, "Tom, we're very very fond of you. You're you're a good kid, and just keep moving." If somebody's father touched your kid nowadays, you'd have a fit. But all he was trying to say is, "Hey, we're here for you. Don't worry about it." How did we lose that, Patrick? When putting your hand on someone's shoulder meant, "I support you," not that I want to you know hit the sack with you or whatever it is. Well, one of the one of the ways that this uh, what I call this anti culture works yes. is to uh, is to we could say you know it, it the condition of our liberty is not to be too closely bound up with other people right is to uh, is to have easy exit in and out of relationships right you could say d- divorce culture is kind of a version of this anti culture right right so to view marriage as a maybe a kind of temporary arrangement and when it ceases to be sufficiently pleasing to each of us or even one of us we can exit and you create a con- easy conditions of easy exit but notice what happens when you do that you lose the capacity for trust. You simply don't know the other people. 
you suspect that they're going to back out or they're, they're simply looking for their own interest. And so rather than these fathers really having your interest in mind and looking out for you, you begin to suspect they're just in it for themselves, and they're looking to get something. I see. Uh, and it's probably not too good what they're looking for. Right. And when did that happen? Because I had no—I mean, obviously nothing did happen except for these people, these fathers. Uh, one was Mr. Fisher. One was Mr. Laurent. One of them told me, hey, we're very fond of you. The whole family just really loves having you around. You'll do well. The other one, we used to sit at his kitchen table and do math problems. You know, he just he tried to teach me things, and and uh, there was never, ever, ever a chance that anything untoward was going to happen. Uh, it just makes me sad that that can't really exist anymore because there's too much danger involved. Well, you ask when this happened, and I actually think it's kind of one of those comparable situations to the frog being slowly boiled. Um, I I think this has been a kind of long process, and this is why I say in this book, liberalism has failed. This this idea that we could be free by freeing ourselves from every other human being, uh, it's failed because it succeeded. That's the irony, that the very thing that we yeah. thought, the very thing that we, we wanted to create, now that we've created it, has uh, put us into this kind of condition of bondage. But I do end the book by saying, uh, if we really are free, if we really are people that can exercise freedom, then I would reject the idea that, um, I think as you put it, that these kinds of these kinds of relationships can't exist anymore. I mean, I really think that I hope that's true. We have to correctly diagnose our condition, and that's the first step. Right. And then the next step is to begin to think: How do we repair this? Um, and how do we how do we change this current state of affairs? And and once we understand the state of affairs, then we can act. Uh, and I think I I would I wrote this book in part that I want to encourage not just college professors. I didn't write this for college professors. I wrote it I hope for regular folks uh, to encourage us to think about concrete steps we could take to change the state of affairs. I think it's a wonderful thing you did this. I, 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 and I, I suppose a lot of people are going to see the title and go, oh my God, it's just horrible. Uh, do people judge that quickly? Well, a lot of people see it and they simply think I'm talking about liberal Democrats at the left. And I'm right. talking about something a bit deeper than that. Yes. Um, it's, it includes, <laughs> it includes the, the liberal left, but I think it also includes many people on the right, yep. uh, because the right has been taken up with describing freedom in the same way, uh, that freedom is really the liberation of the individual. Uh, and uh, I consider myself a conservative, but, but by, by conservative, I think we have to understand what it is we're trying to conserve. Mm-hmm. And yes. uh, conservatives haven't been really good at conserving things. I mean, we've been in political power for a long time, but the culture's kind of continued to decay. And what it shows to me is that winning elections is relatively easy. Serving a culture is actually really kind of hard. It's very hard, as a matter of fact. Freedom of speech uh, right now scares me to death because it seems to be disappearing. Why Liberalism Failed, Patrick J. Deneen, D-E-N-E-E-N. Patrick, thank you so much. Great, great thinking, great idea. Thanks for writing the book, Why Liberalism Failed. Thank you, sir. Thank you. Thanks for having me on. It's a great pleasure. We'll talk to you tomorrow with the family. (laughs) 